Hello and welcome to Christ-Centered Life Planning, the last vision statement you'll ever need. Hey there, my name is Reagan Rose, if you don't already know. I am the creator of Redeeming Productivity. I am also a, a Bible teacher of a Master of Divinity from the Master Seminary. And my main thing is that I teach Christians about productivity. It's my goal in life to help Christians live more productive lives for the glory of God. And that indeed is the purpose of this course as well. We're seeking to look really high level and develop a vision statement for your life. That's why we've called this Christ-centered life planning, the last vision statement you'll ever need. So what are we hoping to accomplish in this course? What do I hope that you take away at the end of all of this? Well, here are the objectives for the course. Well, we have a few objectives. First, we want to create a personal vision statement. By the end of this course, if you work your way through the materials, if you watch these lectures, you will have a written personal vision statement for your life. But we also want to help you understand the necessity of having a vision that encapsulates an eternal perspective on your productivity. Furthermore, we're going to try to help you to understand how to use that vision statement for decision making and for choosing what goals you pursue in life. And lastly, we're going to show you how to evaluate and refine your statement over the course of your life. This statement that you're going to produce is not set in stone. This is something that should evolve as you gain more and more clarity on what exactly God has called you to. Let me just say that I'm really glad that you've decided to join us for this course. Personal vision statements, it sounds a little woo-woo. And I'm going to show you why it's not a little woo-woo. And it might sound a little odd or a little bit like almost corporate-y, but just personal testimony-wise, having a personal vision statement for my life has been an incredibly helpful, clarifying, transformative thing for me. And I'll share more about my vision statement and why I think this is such a helpful practice as we get into things. But without any further ado, let's get into the course. Okay, let's talk about the power of vision. We're going to be talking about why this is such a helpful practice, why you should have a vision for your life and why it's not really as weird as it sounds. So when I was in college, one of the men who discipled me at that time in my life showed me how to create a vision statement for my life. And just to be clear, no, we're not talking about like dreams and visions or like a literal vision. I'm talking more like a corporate vision statement. So just like a company would have a statement that sort of codifies and encapsulates their values, what they're about, what they're aiming towards. What I'm proposing is that Christians should likewise have a vision statement for their life. I'm talking about a specific written statement that clarifies how you uniquely believe that you've been called by God to bring him glory with your life. If that sounds interesting, Stick around. I love this quote from Charles Spurgeon. He says, we must have only one aim. Had we plenty of time, we might try two or three schemes at once, though even then we should most probably fail for want of concentrating our energies. But as we have very little time, we had better economize it by attending to one thing. The man who devotes all his thought and strength to the accomplishment of one reasonable objective is generally successful. We must only have one aim, one aim. 
And I just love the way he puts it. One reasonable objective. And this is all we're talking about in this course is how do you define that reasonable objective? How do you set out to have a clear vision for your life so that you're not going in a million different directions, but you know exactly who you are and what you're about. And now you first hear this and it might sound either overly spiritual or like not spiritual enough. And what I mean is it can sound overly spiritual in that it can sound like, like I mentioned before, that we're talking about having a dream or a direct revelation from God about your life. I'm not talking about that. But the other thing is it might sound not spiritual enough as though setting an aim, writing down what you believe your life is going to be about is somehow a denial of being submitted to God. And now we've talked about this in previous courses. If you've taken any of my other stuff, especially on goal setting, uh, you'll know that ambition is not ungodly. Having a clear goal is not necessarily an arrogant thing as long as that goal is submitted to God. And it's the same for your vision for your life. If you have a overriding theme for what you're trying to accomplish with your life, as long as that's submitted to the Lord, it is not an arrogant thing. In fact, it is a wise thing. And that's what Spurgeon's getting at here. Having one aim is wisdom because what he's saying in this quote is we don't have enough time to be scatterbrained. We don't have enough time to have multiple aims for our lives. The man who devotes all his thought and strength to the accomplishment of one reasonable objective will be generally successful. I remember sitting in a discipleship lab in seminary. So a discipleship lab, what is that? A discipleship lab is this uh, almost like a small group type thing with other men who were in the degree program. And we were with a professor, sort of maybe a handful of guys, maybe 10, 12 guys and one professor. And their aim was to help us to grow and to disciple us. So I remember early in my seminary career, I was sitting in one of these sessions with a very seasoned professor, you know, and as he was trying to get to know the guys in the group, he asked what our aspirations were after seminary. And as you might guess, we all sort of like hemmed and hawed. We're like, well, you know, whatever the Lord would have for me, that is what I wish to do with my life. I have no aims. I have no ambitions. I'm fully submitted to him and I'm just waiting for him to tell me exactly what to do. And it was very interesting what he said. He stopped us and he said, gentlemen, it is assumed that you will do whatever the Lord wants you to do. He said, I'm assuming that you guys have your lives and your plans submitted to him. I'm just asking you what you are trying to do. What are you aiming for? And it was like so practical and so simple and such like a plain question, but we all were like trying to over spiritualize it or try to sound like, overly pious. And he said, guys, I have been doing this for 30 something years. I can't remember how many, how long, but he was an older gentleman. He actually retired when I, um, right as I was finishing seminary. And he said his experience again and again was that the people who came through that school generally ended up doing what they planned to do. If they said, I want to be a youth pastor, I want to uh, serve in world missions, or I'm hoping to be an associate pastor or a senior pastor, or I want to work in um, like a Christian nonprofit. He said, generally, that's what they ended up doing. And that there was nothing unspiritual about having a vision for your life as long as it is surrendered to God. And that's the key. There is nothing unspiritual about having a vision for your life as long as it is submitted to God. 
If you have taken my course on goal setting, then this image will look familiar to you. If you haven't taken that course, that is actually very helpful. And these two sort of work together. These are the two parts of navigating or high level having a plan for your life, goal setting and having a vision statement. So I used this, this graph before, but I want to expand on it. So what's going on here? Well, uh, at the top, you have God's glory. So you could think about this as though these were different like time horizons, different levels at which you could look at your life, you know, as if you were peering out over the timeline of your life and trying to evaluate things at different levels, right? So down at the very bottom, you have tasks and habits, that sort of today. And then God's glory way at the top, that's eternity. That's the main thing you're aimed at. And these give you different vantage points on your life. And so at the very top, God's glory gives you this vantage point on the whole of your life. This is everything I want to be about is glorifying God. So everything from the from today to tomorrow to next week, next month, the entirety of my life is all about glorifying God. And a level below that is your domains of stewardship. Within these, these are things like your family. These are things like your career. These are things like your finances. These are the, the six or so areas of life that God has given you to steward for his glory. So these, uh, it's just a way of dividing out your life into categories so that you can think about how faithful you're being in each of them. And then below that you have goals, which again, that was what the last course was about. And that's just one level lower. That's okay. How do I accomplish things within these domains so that I know I'm stewarding them well? If I am trying to steward my finances, you, know, you want to set goals for that. We need to have savings. We need to have a plan for giving. A goal allows you to have a plan for how you were steward that domain. And then a level below that is projects. Projects help you to accomplish the goals. So if your goal is to steward your money better than a project might be uh, a way to get your savings up to a certain amount of dollars each month. And again, that just is a lower view. Each of these, just think of these dotted lines as you tilting your head lower and lower. God's glory gives you the greatest view. Projects, you're a little bit more down in the weeds. And then at the very bottom is your tasks and habits. These are the things you do daily to help you make pro progress on your projects and your goals. So this is heads down, I'm just working. And as Christians, we need to be climbing up and down the rungs of this ladder, as it were, at different times, you know, and evaluating, okay, is, is my life on track for glorifying God? How is this domain doing? How am I doing with my family? How am I doing with my, my finances? And then what goals can I be setting? You're, you're constantly traveling up and down this, and then daily you're at this bottom one here with tasks and habits. But when I showed you this before, I left something out that I want to insert now. So before it was just these five things, but there actually is something that I didn't want to include quite yet because it sounds a little weird when you first hear it. And that is vision between God's glory, which is the chief end of your life, your purpose in being here. And your domains, the different areas you steward, there is this section called vision. So let me show you this in a slightly different uh, graphical way to try to illustrate the function of having a clear vision for your life within all of these different um, parts of your productivity. 
So I call this the pyramid of purpose, or you call it the pyramid of productivity. I don't know. I haven't trademarked it. I just made that up. But pyramid of purpose, I like that. That that makes a lot of sense to me because that is what I'm trying to show here. And so as these get narrower, what we're showing is the the progress from a wide view of life down to a very narrow. So similar to the last graph, but I think more uh, visually showing the, the progress of clarity down the different rungs of the ladder. So in this graph, I've shown vision at the very top, but this is really all just how your life works together to glorify God. So if it makes you more comfortable, you could put God's glory at the very top of this pyramid. But specifically, the vision is the unique way that you believe you have been called to glorify God. I'll articulate this clearer in a moment, but just for now, your vision for your life is the unique way that you believe you have been called to bring God glory with your life. And I'll show you how you can come up with this, how you can get clarity on it. But for now, that's what we mean when we say vision. And each step of this brings clarity to the run one below it. So your vision gives clarity to your domains of stewardship, right? Your family, your, your church, your, all those different six categories I've listed out in the goal setting course. And your domains give clarity to your goals. So you say, okay, I have my relationships and I have a goal with my relationships to steward the relationship with my wife better. And so I'll have a project in there of setting weekly date nights that will be together and we can work on our marriage together. Right. And then all the way at the bottom, the projects give clarity your tasks and habits. And so when you get up and you start to uh, work on stuff for the day, say, what am I going to do today? You look at your little planner, you're, you've driven all the way from who am I? Why am I here? What am I responsible for stewarding? What goals am I trying to do to accomplish good stewardship in each of those areas? What projects specifically have I decided right now, this month or this week to work on? And how does that how does today fit into all of that? If you have clarity in each of these levels, that will all be simpler. But a lot of times we don't have clarity at the topmost level. We don't have a vision for our life. We don't have a life plan. Put simply, vision is having clarity about your unique calling. So as we have emphasized throughout all the courses I do, everything I talk about with redeeming productivity in general, the purpose of your life is to glorify God. This is one of the pillars of Christian productivity. You exist to glorify God. That informs your productivity. That's literally why you're being productive. You're trying to bring God glory. But the vision is how have you been uniquely gifted to glorify God? You specifically. What has God made you and only you to do? Because the truth is God has sovereignly placed you in your area of life, in the, the responsibilities that you have, in the time that you have with your giftings, with your abilities, with your disabilities. All of these things are the providence of God that make you unique, that make you you. And he has fashioned those things together so that you would be a one-of-a-kind, glory-giving machine for him. 
what vision does is it enables you to try to clarify that so that you don't get off course. And by writing a vision statement, you're going to be articulating exactly how you believe right now you can unify your life's mission. And as we'll see, these statements can change over time. Mine has morphed many times over the years. The point is not to get something perfect. The point is to clarify what you understand about your calling right now. So vision is just having clarity about your calling as far as you understand it. So we've been talking about the importance of having a vision for your life. And you might be wondering, okay, yeah, this kind of makes sense what you're saying so far. I think I get it. But is this biblical? Like, should we be making up a theme for our life or a vision? Like what, what justifies this biblically? Well, I think that when you look at the scriptures, you see some examples of people having a vision for their life, or you might say a theme for their life. You know, you look at Abraham, for example. What was the vision for his life? Well, he was seeking a better land and a great nation, right? Because that's what God promised him. So he left Ur of the Chaldees. He left his uh, home and his family. He was no more than a boy in the company of strangers in the quiet of a railway station running scared. Wait, yeah, that's Paul Simon. Uh, I got a little off track there. No, but, but Abraham left everything he knew based on the promise of God and his theme for his life was, I want the land and the nation that God has promised me. And I am looking to a better country as it says in Hebrews, right? So he was clear on what he was about. He had a vision and he chased that with all his might. Joseph, uh, in Genesis, right? He, he had a vision and a mission for his life to preserve God's people through his work in Egypt. And we'll look closer at this one in just a moment, but it's very unique. You know, Abraham or Joseph was in this position where he worked for Pharaoh, sort of the second command of all of Egypt. And it's clear that he was very clear about his purpose in being there, which was to preserve life. And we'll talk about that again in just a few minutes. Moses is another example. He, his mission in life, his vision was to deliver God's people from Egypt. Jesus, likewise, he said that he came to seek and save the lost. Very clear about the theme of his uh, earthly ministry. And Paul, likewise, he had a very clear mission. His, his vision for his life was the conversion of the Gentiles. And so you do see, when you look at biblical characters, you see that there is, there tends to be a theme to their life. There tends to be a singular purpose that defines them. And that when you look at their lives or you hear their stories, like this is what comes through. This is what they were about because they were uniquely called by God. And all I'm arguing here is that all of us have been uniquely called by God. Our vision for our life, our missions that God's put us on might not be as dramatic and as exciting as the biblical characters. Indeed, it probably won't be as exciting as these guys. Uh, but nonetheless, if you are Christian and if you believe that God has called you to glorify him with your life, then you ought to believe also that he has equipped you to do that in a unique way. Now, as I said, I want to look a little closer at the life of Joseph because all of those people that I talked about in the previous slide, all those biblical characters, you might have an objection. You might say, yeah, but those guys were all specifically called by God in that they had like a divine revelation. Like Abraham was called 
audibly by God. Uh, Moses saw a burning bush and God told him, this is what you're about. Um, Jesus was called by the father, sent here by the father. And Paul was told by God that he was going to have a mission to the Gentiles. So is it really fair for me to say that we could have a vision with the same clarity as the biblical uh, characters? Well, no, I don't think we can have the same clarity. God is not telling us directly this, hey, Reagan, this is exactly what I've called you to do. You need to be about teaching believers uh, how to be more productive for my glory. God has not told me that. He hasn't told me that. But I have inferred it via providence. And that's what I think we see in the life of Joseph. He has clarity about his vision and his mission through observing the providence of God in his life. So there, there's my little face in the corner. Hi. So life of Joseph, you guys probably know the story. Remember he, he has the coat of many colors. He tells his brothers about his dreams. They get really annoyed with him. They're like, he's being arrogant because he's saying he's going to rule over us. So he's betrayed by them. And, uh, Reuben, you know, they, they decide they're going to kill him. And Reuben says, no, 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 let's not kill him. Let's sell him to these, these, uh, I think it was Midianites that were riding by at the time. And so they sold him into slavery. And so he, he goes into slavery. He ends up in Egypt. And remember, he's working in the house of Potiphar. Potiphar's wife comes on to him. He runs away. He acts righteously in that situation. And guess what? It lands him in prison. Real big bummer. But then providentially, he becomes Pharaoh's second in command. You remember, he interprets the dreams for the dudes that are in jail with him. And so one of those men in jail, one gets executed, but the other one goes back to work for Pharaoh again. And he, after a while, remembers uh, that Joseph can interpret dreams. He goes, interprets the dream of Pharaoh and tells him there's a famine coming. And Pharaoh says, okay, help us plan for the famine. And in that way, all through providence, Joseph becomes this second in command of all of Egypt. And he oversees this huge project of storing up grain and storing up food so that nobody would starve during the super long famine. And what's really interesting about Joseph's story is that we have no indication in the scriptures that God told him this was what it was all about. Unlike Moses, unlike Abraham, unlike Jesus or, or Paul or many of the other uh, characters in the Bible, we don't have any indication that Joseph received direct revelation to know that this was his calling and his mission. The way he knew was because he interpreted providence. He looked at the situation he was placed in and said, I see, this is what God has called me to do. Listen to this from Genesis 45, 5. Here's his own interpretation of his mission, that, that, that God was doing something through him. He says, and now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. He's talking to his brothers. For God sent me before you to preserve life. Likewise, at the end of Genesis, he says, as for you, talking to his brothers again, you meant evil against me in selling him into slavery, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. And so Joseph looked at his circumstances. He looked at the providence of God and he inferred meaning from it. He inferred purpose for his life. He's saying, God put me here 
to preserve the life, ultimately, of a lot of people, including the Egyptians, but mainly for God's covenant people, the Israelites. And it's this amazing story of God's providence. But what's interesting to me, and for our purposes, is how clear Joseph was that this is what I'm about. This is the theme of my life. And so Joseph's high view of God's sovereignty allowed him to infer purpose from providence. Because he viewed that God was in control of everything, he had a lens through which he viewed his life and circumstances. And what I'm arguing is that we can do this too. We can look at our life and our circumstances. It's always going to be clear. You know, obviously Dave or uh, Joseph is, has the benefit of hindsight when he's saying these things to his brothers, but we too can look around at Providence and how God's working our lives, how he's gifted us. What are the talents he's given us? What are the, how has he uh, equipped us financially, um, energy wise? How, what are the unique things that I have and the unique responsibilities God's given me? And how might I look at those and say, hmm, I wonder in what way specifically God wants me to glorify him with my life. In some ways, we're talking about that classic question of like the will of God. You know, I used to work in college ministry and I feel like not a week went by that a college student would, you know, come to me and be like, I just don't know what to do. I just am trying to figure out God's will for my life. And by God's will for their life, they meant, um, who am I going to marry? What major should I do? And, you know, when am I going to die? No, but like they, they basically wanted a life plan completely mapped out for them. And that's what they meant by how I know the will of God for my life. I don't think it works quite like that, but you can know to some degree, to some degree of clarity right now about your purpose, your overarching purpose to glorify God with your life. But right now, knowing what you know about what God's given you, what do you think the theme of your life is? What do you think a good vision to aim for with your life might be? Because make no mistake about it, God has given you a mission. You are not just an extra. If you've been called by the Lord Jesus Christ, if you were one of his chosen sheep, he called you to glorify him. And he knit you together in your mother's womb to do that in a specific way. The big difference maker is will you own that calling? Will you lean into it? Will you clarify that vision for your life? And so I've said this a couple times, but I think this is a good summary statement. When we're talking about vision here, we're talking about your life's theme. What is your life's theme? And it can't just be to glorify God because that's all of our life's themes. I'm talking about something a little bit more specific and I'm gonna help you to build one of those. But first, what happens if we don't own our calling? What happens if we don't lean into the specific way God has gifted us and try to own the purpose for which he's made us and have a clear vision for our life? What do you think will happen to us? Well, you will be swallowed by a whale. Sorry, that's just how it works. You get swallowed by a whale when you don't own your calling. That's just a, it's a biblical paradigm. I'm, I'm joking, uh, but Jonah is a good example of somebody who was, now listen, he was verbally called by God through direct revelation, go to Nineveh 
and he ran from that calling. He didn't want to own it. He didn't want to glorify God the way that he had been called to. And the Lord made sure of it through uh, a bitter providence, something that he probably would have rather not have happened to him. And so hopefully it won't be as dramatic for us uh, if we don't own our calling. But I mean, there are consequences for it. And I just wrote a few here. If we don't own our calling, if we don't own this, this specific vision or theme for our life, what can happen? Well, we would have no unifying theme to our stewardship. And, and this is no minor thing. Um, you know, we talk about the domains of stewardship. Yeah, we have all have family. We all have career. We all have um, these different areas that we're to steward well. But, and of course, God's glory unifies all of them. But what is the theme? What are, you, what are you about? What is that, as Spurgeon said, what is that one singular purpose, that reasonable objective that you want to make your life about? That will unify your stewardship. That will unify everything you do. A second, uh, if we don't own our calling, we could feel aimless in our productivity. This is related to the first one, but you can just feel like you're doing stuff for stuff's sake and, and you vaguely have this sense that you're glorifying God through it, but it doesn't, there's no single thing unifying it all together. And we can also try to do too many different things. Again, that Spurgeon quote at the beginning, you, you don't have enough time to have a divided focus. If you want to do something great, if you want to do the thing that God has called you to do in this world, you're going to have to say no to a lot of stuff. And you're going to have to be focused on one singular thing. Having a vision for your life is that sort of focusing uh, mechanism. Uh, related to this, if you haven't taken the course on overcommitment, that would be a good one to take too if you have trouble saying no to things. That's a really good um, pairing with this course because once you have a vision for your life, you're going to need to learn to say no to the stuff that is out of step with it a lot more. So if you haven't taken that one yet, that is definitely worth your time as well. Next, if we don't own our calling, we can start to envy the calling of others. This is the whole uh, body of Christ thing, right? The hand doesn't say to the to the foot, you know, I have no need of you. The, the, we need to own the gifts we have, not just spiritual gifts, but all of the gifting, the specific stewardship we've been placed in. When you have a clear vision for your life, you don't jump around and, and start to like move from, um, you know, hero to hero. You're, like you say, oh, I, I really respect that guy. So I want to be a pastor like he's a pastor. Or man, I, I saw that guy who, who runs his own business and he gives away money and he just really glorifies God that way. That's who I want to be. Um, I, I knew a guy uh, several years back who his like calling for his life, his mission changed. It seemed like every week. You know, one week he was intent on, he was going to be a, a worship pastor. The next, he was intent that he was going to be a missionary. The next week, he was going to be this, this really dedicated scholar on some really like weird, obscure topic. And it's not that those things are unrelated to each other, but those are totally different objectives. And because he couldn't choose, he was always awash in, well, what should I do this week? Or what do I do now? He, he, he didn't know what to do. And he just was constantly looking at other people and being envious of their calling. So that can be a problem as well. Also, we dishonor the unique way God has gifted and made us. When we don't own our calling, we we're almost saying, I don't like this 
the way you've made me, God. I don't like the providence that you've given me in my life. Um, and this is hard because sometimes the providence we're under is to suffer for God's glory. I mean, even Paul, that was part of his calling. Remember when Jesus appeared to him, he told him, uh, I will show you how much you must suffer. And that is part and parcel of, of any faithful Christian's life. But really owning your calling and really leaning into it uh, is, is respecting the fact that God gave me these limits. He gave me this providence. He gave me these gifts. And that's how he has kind of outfitted me to, uh, to serve him. And I think about like this sometimes along with gifting and stuff like, you know, if you've ever watched drag racing, I'm not really a racing fan, but if you ever watched those drag racers, like those are weird looking cars. Like, I don't even know what they're called. The really like long ones, you know, they have like the little wheels at the front and the really big ones at the back and the big engine. Um, you wouldn't want to like drive that as your everyday driver because it's specially equipped for that type of short track race. And you also wouldn't want to race that in like the Indy 500. It's not made for that. And likewise, you have been supernaturally souped up to serve God in a really specific way. And having a vision for your life is you kind of bringing all those different aspects of providence together and saying, I think this is what I'm made for. And it's a process. Again, it changes over time. Your clarity on that will be different year to year, and hopefully it gets sharper and sharper as you go. But don't dishonor the fact that God uniquely made you and gifted you in a certain way. And so those are things that happen when we don't own our calling, but when we do own our calling, ooh, something really amazing happens for us. When we own our calling, vision produces focus. Vision produces focus. When we own our calling, we start to have a vision for our life. And that starts to bring everything else into focus. But it's not enough just to have vaguely a sense of your calling. You might be taking this course and say, I know exactly what I'm about already. What I want to show you is that you need to go a step further and actually articulate that vision, write it down in a really compact way so that it can serve you in a bunch of different ways. So next, I'm going to show you why a vision statement and actually writing this down can serve you so well. So we've been talking about having a vision for your life and why it's so important and, and why it is biblical. But I want to show you specifically why you need to write this statement down, which is what we're going to be doing in this course. Um, you need to actually have a written vision statement is what I'm arguing here. So why you need a written vision statement? Well, I want to give you three benefits, three benefits of having a written vision statement. The first one is that it helps you make decisions. Writing down your vision statement is such an awesome uh, tool because you can look at this thing and make tough decisions. I do it all the time. Um, when, when two great opportunities present themselves, having a clear vision statement allows you to ask, so which one of these is more aligned with who God made me to be and where I believe he's calling me to go? If you have that written down, you can just pull this thing out and ask that question. It gives you tremendous clarity. I'll just give you an example, a recent example from my own life. 
um, my, my church had asked me to do some work revamping their, their digital presence, their online uh, presence, their websites and different things like that. And this is something I, I, I do from time to time. It's, it's in line with my, my background and some of my giftings, like what I did with, with Grace to You and with other churches. And so sometimes I do work like that on the side and I want to do it and maybe I'll be able to do it eventually. But this was in December and they asked me to do this and I sort of hemmed and hawed about it because I wasn't sure because I was like, man, this is a great opportunity. Um, this would be really helpful for my church, which I want to serve. And they were going to, to, to pay me at a time when we needed some extra money because we're still getting stuff off the ground with redeeming productivity. And so it all, it made sense. Like maybe I should just do this, but I was in the middle of writing a book. And I was in the middle of building out Redeeming Productivity Academy. And when I was honest with myself, I knew that I did not have extra time to do this thing. So even though on the short term, it would have been very good for me, very helpful for my church. um, As I've heard someone say, good is the enemy of great. And a vision statement, having a written vision statement allowed me to have a clear definition of great. And that was... I need to focus on finishing this book and building out this academy because my life's mission is to help other Christians learn to be more productive for the glory of God. And so while this thing is a good thing, it doesn't line up with my mission right now and I don't have enough time to do it. And so I I may eventually do that. My point in saying all this is that you would say no to everything that doesn't align with your mission. That's not practical. It's not realistic. Um, you will do things that are out of line with your mission, but you can't do things that are going to interfere with it or that are, that are at cross purposes with it, that lead you down a different path than what you believe your life is supposed to be about. So having a written vision statement can help you make those kinds of decisions. Um, it can also enable you to connect long-term and short-term productivity. What do I mean by that? Well, it enables you to draw a line from glorifying God to what you're doing right now today. Again, this is that, that pyramid that I showed you. It allows you to connect your, your vision to your domains of stewardship, to your goals, to your projects, and to your tasks and your habits, to what you're doing right now at this moment. And when you do that, it, it, it gives purpose to everything you're doing. I mean, I cannot tell you how wonderful it feels to know with confidence that what I'm working on right now today is exactly what I should be doing. It is so hard to do that so many days because you're not making these connections. You're not thinking all the way through how do these relate to my, my main purpose, which is to glorify God and specifically the theme of my life, the mission that God has put me on. And the third benefit of written vision statement is that it reminds you of your motivation when things get hard. And they do. They do. Life gets busy. Uh, the things you need to do to stay on mission can be really hard. It can be really frustrating. And you can feel lost often. But when you have a written vision statement, it gives you motivation. Uh, when you ask, why am I even doing this thing? You look at your vision statement and it has a ready answer for you. You know, it tells you this is what God has called you to. That's why you're doing it. And 
again, having, having a vision and sort of like a vague idea of the theme of your life in your head is helpful, but there's something about articulating it, writing it down, clarifying it for yourself that serves this as really helpful reminder, especially when times get tough. So that was all about the power of vision and uh, why you should have a vision statement, why it should be a written one, why this is not a like absolutely unbiblical practice, but I think is lined up with how we can interpret God's providence and uh, really be better stewards with our lives. And the next section, we're going to be talking about how to do this and a method that I have come up with that has worked very well for me and gives you an eternal perspective on the vision for your life. So I'll see you in the next section. Welcome back to Christ-Centered Life Planning, the last vision statement you'll ever need. In this session, we're going to be talking about understanding vision statements. So in the last segment, I told you a little bit about what I was getting at the importance of vision, uh, what a vision statement is, but we kind of just barely scratched the surface. So before I teach you exactly how to make a vision statement for yourself that I believe really is Christ honoring and is biblical in the way it's formatted, I just want to drive a little bit deeper into the subject of what a vision statement is and really what it isn't. So there's no mistakes. I love this quote from Costi Hinn. He says, vision is a razor that has to be so sharp that it cuts even through good ideas. It's a fire that keeps you warm, even on the bad days. Man, I just love that so much because it's speaking to the efficacy of a vision statement, of having a clear vision of where you're headed, where you're trying to go. If you have a good uh, vision of where you want to go and where you're headed, it's, it's like a razor. It's, it's pointed. It's sharp. And he says here that it's so sharp that it can cut even through good ideas, which is an interesting thing to say. His point is that there are going to be many, many good ideas, good things that come up, good opportunities, but having a razor sharp vision allows you to say no even to the good stuff so that you can say yes to the great stuff. Uh, and the other part of it that's just super helpful is it's a fire that keeps you warm even on bad days. That speaks to the motivation aspect of a good vision statement, that even when everything is falling apart, nothing seems good, you're, you don't know why you're doing the thing you're doing today, you look up and you remember, oh yes, it's because this is our vision, this is where we're headed, and this is so important that's why this matters today. Even this menial stuff, even this uh, things where I have to get my hands dirty. This matters because that's where we're headed. That's the power of a really good vision statement. But what is a vision statement exactly? Sometimes there's some confusion about what makes something a vision statement, uh, what's a mission statement versus a vision statement. And honestly, there's some stuff that uh, I mentioned in the first part a little bit that there's some woo-woo stuff that can happen when people start talking about vision statements. So I just want to dispel some of that here. So here's a, a good definition. I found this on Cascade. Uh, dot app. They said a vision statement is an aspirational statement made by an organization that articulates what they would like to achieve. So in our case, let's swap out organization for individual. So we're trying to make a statement for ourselves here, but th there's three factors to it. It's an aspirational statement. So this is, this is not a statement of fact or current reality, but of where you want to go. And it articulates, so that's the other part, it, it clarifies, it makes it clear, it puts in words this vision, it gets it out of your head, makes it public. 
And third is, is what they would like to achieve. So it, it's painting a picture of a state that they would like to get to as an organization. And I think these same things are true of a personal vision statement that it is aspirational in nature. It is articulating and clarifying exactly what that vision is instead of leading it fuzzy in your head. And it's all about a place you want to get to. It's all future oriented. Now, like I said, a lot of times people confuse a vision statement for a mission statement, but there is a difference between a mission statement and a vision statement. A mission statement is based on the present, whereas a vision statement is based on the future. A uh, mission statement is all about why we exist. Uh, a vision statement is about where we're going. A uh, mission statement grounds you. A vision statement inspires you. An uh, example would be a mission statement says, this is why we are here. A vision statement is this is what we want to achieve. And a lot of organizations have these. A lot of organizations have both of these, a mission and a vision. In fact, I have a couple examples here that I thought were uh, good uh, that show the contrast between the two. So here's from the, the Alzheimer's Foundation. They say that their mission is to eliminate Alzheimer's disease through the advancement of research to provide an enhanced care and support for all affected and to reduce the risk of dementia through the promotion of brain health. So that's their mission, but their vision is a world without Alzheimer's. That's that's the vision that sort of inspires and motivates and get, gets their all people behind that. This is what we're trying to do. Whereas the mission state is like, here's who we are and what we do. I have a couple other examples here as well. This is Amazon. Our vision is to be the Earth's best customer-centric company, to build a place where people can come to find and discover anything they might want to buy online. And so, like in a lot of ways, Amazon is close to achieving that, but they it's a vision statement because they're not necessarily there yet. So that's who they're trying to become. It's a vision of the future. Uh, this is... Um, I believe Southwest Airlines, they said that their vision is to be the world's most loved, most efficient, and most profitable airline. So these, these are aspirational. These are what they would like to achieve. Um, and here's Tesla Motors. Uh, their vision is to create the most compelling car company of the 21st century by driving the world's transition to electric vehicles. So you see how the, those capture this idea of it's aspirational. It's not here yet. It, it's articulate. They've put it down in words. And it's all about a state they want to get to. That's the key. Now, of course, we're not concerned here with corporate vision or mission statements. We're talking about personal vision statements. Um, but the reason I want to show you that stuff is to help you to understand exactly what we're trying to achieve here. We're just doing it at a more personal level. And there's different ways of doing this. And maybe you've done some of these before. There's several different types of personal vision statements. One example is what's called a vision board. These are really popular and usually it's a physical thing. Um, here's some examples. People sort of put their vision for the future of their life. Uh, and they made a little craft out of it, either digitally or, you know, physically. Some people do these with like a Pinterest board or something on their computer. But the idea is you're just visualizing the person you want to become, where you're trying to get in life. I do, though, want to pause here as an aside and say this. You know, as I was looking into the vision stuff, one thing that came up a lot, and I want to clarify this, not what we're talking about, is this idea of manifesting or um, the law of attraction or that book like The Secret. A lot of times you look into this stuff. In fact, even when I was looking into vision boards, I found an article that was talking about how you use these to 
uh, think and dwell on the future life you want for yourself so that the universe will bring it to you. That's, that's called the law of attraction and that's pagan nonsense. Okay. Let's just call it what it is. It's pagan nonsense. That is not Christianity. And so that's not what we're talking about here when we're talking about having a vision or having a vision board here. So if you come across that stuff, or if you've had a bad experience with these things in the past, just know that's very, very, very clear. That is not what we're talking about. There's nothing mystical about this. Uh, Other examples of personal vision statements you might run into are like a five or 10 year vision statement for one's life. Um, So here's a couple examples of like a five-year vision statement. In five years, I will be attending the University of Michigan and majoring in economics. You see, there's a couple of good, interesting features to this. Like you've got the five years thing. So he sort of put a time on it, but it's all written in the present tense, right? And this is sort of like what we did if you took our annual planning workshop that we did live. Uh, It's the same sort of thing, writing in the present tense where you hope to be in the future. And that sort of... Uh, enables your mind to sort of visualize, I will be doing it. It's not I want, it's I will, this is where I'm going to be. And it, it just is fast forwarding your mind to the future a little bit. Another one of those, in five years, I'll be changing the world by teaching special education students. These are just examples. Um, and then one more kind would be what I would call like the long form vision statement. And this is uh, an example I found online. This person said, my vital role in the lives of my children automatically means that I have a great purpose in life. Instead of dreaming about the world, seeing my value, I strive every day to be the hero of my family. My job as a parent is to mindfully raise my children in an environment of acceptance, love, and affirmation. But uh, my point in all of this is that there are many different forms of vision statements out there. There's a lot of different ways you can write this stuff. But the one that I think is the most interesting or uh, most intriguing to me is that it ran across several years ago was called the personal eulogy. And I discovered this in the book Living Forward by Daniel Harkavy and Michael Hyatt. And they talk about this practice of instead of writing a vision statement, you should think about your own death, like think about your funeral and what your loved ones, what you hope they would say about you. What, what, are, what would my kids say about me, my friends, my wife, and what would I hope them to say about me? And then the idea is by looking at that, you could ask, is my life on a trajectory where I could reasonably assume people would say those things about me? And so it's a very humbling, um, definitely morbid way of thinking about your life and evaluating, am I on track to be the person I want to become? And this is, this is an interesting way of going about it for sure. Um, I'm not like totally at odds with this, but I'll tell you a small niggle I have with this and why I will show you a different way of doing this. But let me just give you an example in that book. They, they go from taking the personal eulogy and turning into what they call a legacy statement. So we're going here. If you could think about this on a timeline, we're going from like a short term vision statement to like a five year or a 10 year or this is talking about a lifelong, what's my legacy going to be? What would my eulogy be, right? So just thinking about expanding our vision statement, the horizon that we're projecting out into the future for ourselves, this is like the longest term one that I've come across, which is a legacy statement. He says, uh, this is an actual example from somebody named Chad. He was a high school history teacher. He said, I want to be remembered as a father who was deeply involved in their lives. I want to think of how I would be able to talk about anything I want them to remember how I was intentional in leading our family. 
I want them to remember how I would teach them through memorable experiences. I want to be known by the focused attention I gave to them. And so he's talking about his legacy. How am I going to be remembered? Right? That's a, that's an important thing to think about. I think, um, let me give you one more example. This is from Eric. These are both from the book, by the way, living forward. Uh, this is from Eric. He was an online marketer. He said, I want them to remember my transparency, authenticity, and generosity. I want them to remember how I exceeded their expectations and gave them compelling life-changing content and resources. Most of all, I want them to see in me a role model with a life worth emulating. So in both of these examples, they were written towards a specific audience. They were both for family or, or children. What do I want my legacy with this group to be? And again, like this is good. It's uh, I don't, I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but there's something that has always bothered me about this ever since I first read about these legacy statements. There's something missing here. And that something I believe is an eternal perspective. I think what's missing from all of these vision statements is an eternal perspective. And if we're to be faithful Christians, it's wise, I think, to have a five-year and 10-year vision. In fact, I'm not going to show you this in this course, but I have, I have five and 10-year visions as well. But I also have an eternal vision statement that I've written for myself, which I'll show you how to do in a minute. But this is critical. And if this is missing from the vision for your life, you will naturally fall into the default of having your life be about worldly things, right? Because if you don't fix your eyes on heaven with the vision you have for your life, then you're going to fix it on earth, right? So I want to talk a little bit more about the eternal perspective on our vision for our lives. So we've been talking about the different types of vision statements that you can have, how those work, and how I believe that there's just something that's missing oftentimes. I said there's something missing from writing these own eulogy or even of a five, ten year horizon, and that is an eternal perspective. And if you have taken the five pillars of Christian productivity, the, the course that's at the very beginning of the Redeeming Productivity Academy curriculum, you may remember these pillars. I said that these make up the theological or philosophical um, foundation for Christian vision of productivity. The origin of our productivity is that we belong to God. The purpose is you exist to glorify God. Content, you are saved to bear fruit for God. Source, you are uniquely gifted by God. And motivation, you will give an account to God. And that's what I'm focused on right here. A vision statement is a motivation. It's what inspires you to action. So really, when we're talking about having a personal vision statement, we're talking about something that's going to motivate you, that's going to draw your eyes upward, that's going to allow you to uh, constantly make sure your life is driving in the right direction, something that can be higher than your goals. And I think the highest <laughs> thing we could think of is the fact that we're going to give an account before God. This is the motivation for our productivity. You know, the world says, be productive so you can get more of this life. But God says, be productive so you can gain more of the next. And in fact, Randy Alcorn, he's the author of the book, Heaven and uh, Money, Possessions and Eternity, which is where this quote is from. He says, the missing ingredient in the lives of many Christians today is motivation. And this comes from a chapter in that book where he actually talks about how eternal reward is the motivation presented to us in scripture as the ultimate motivation for our good works, for the, the thing we're supposed to be productive in. 
eternal reward. This is where our eyes should be fixed. And so if we're going to have a vision statement that's for Christians, well, then I think it's got to be focused on eternal reward because that is what we need to motivate us to keep going. I think this is even more obvious when you think about the motivations that uh, are inherently behind having like a temporal vision statement, like a five or 10 year one. So there's a lot of bad motivations uh, for being productive. Here's some wrong motivations for being productive. One is the reward of riches, right? Like I want to make more money and so I'm going to be productive. I have this vision for my life. You know, we, we saw it even on some of those uh, vision boards I showed you earlier where it's like vacations in Maui. There's like a Bentley on one of them. You know, it was about money. And so if, if you focus your vision purely on this world, um, you're going to be focused on the wrong things like the reward of riches, or you might be focused on the promise of peace. You know, a lot of people look to their productivity so that they can get their life in order so they can just finally relax. It's not about having all the nicest things in the world. It's just about having a little bit more freedom, right? And that's not the right motivation because earth is not heaven. That's not where we find our peace. We find our peace in Jesus Christ. Furthermore, we might be motivated by the praise of people. You know, we, uh, we want people to think well of us. And so I'm going to be productive. I'm going to, uh, stay late at church and stack the chairs and do these good things, but I'm going to do them because I want people to look at me and say, wow, what a great servant, what a great person, right? This, you, you can, you can think that you're doing all the right stuff because you're giving your time, you're donating your efforts and you're like, it's not about money for me, but really deep down in your heart, it's about how will people Think of me. I'm being productive because I care about the praise of people. And then there's the lure of legacy. And this is, this is where I think the eulogy thing gets it wrong. It sounds so good. It sounds so good to say, I want my life to be about what people are going to say about me when I'm gone. You know, it doesn't sound like braggadocious. It sounds humble. It's like, wow, yeah, that's important. He just wants his, his kids to think well of him and him to be remembered well. And it's like, look, that's not a bad thing necessarily to want to be remembered well. But all the lure of legacy is, is it's the praise of people in a time machine. It's just pushed forward. It's still all about the, what will people say of me? The, the love of people's affirmation of you. It's about your own glory. And that is a wrong motivation. I'm sorry. It is a wrong motivation. So what is the right motivation then? Well, the right motivation is eternal reward. As we've said, it's eternal reward. And, and mark this, you know, purpose and motivation, they are very well braided together. When I say purpose, I'm talking about our purpose is to glorify God with our lives, right? Uh, that itself is a powerful motivation. I get up in the morning and I say, yes, I'm going to bring God glory with this day. Um, I'm, I'm going to be productive because God deserves to be glorified. That's my purpose. But purpose becomes even stronger when we recognize that our highest good is also tied up in this endeavor. So God's glory and my highest good, because God actually rewards us when we live lives that glorify him. And so there's nothing wrong or mercenary about being motivated by eternal reward, because actually eternal reward is the very thing that the scriptures hold out to us as our highest motivation. And so I want to review this a little bit here. I got, you got some of this, if you took five pillars of Christian productivity, but I want to review this a little bit more in the next section about why eternal reward should 
unashamedly be the number one reason you are about personal productivity as a Christian. I'll talk about that more in the next section. All right, so we're talking about the right motivation for being productive and that the right motivation is eternal reward. And it sounds a little hinky, you know, you hear that and you think, hmm, doesn't that sound like doing stuff for yourself? Like, doesn't the Bible say that we're to be good for goodness sake? No, you're thinking of Santa Claus. That's that's Santa Claus who says, so be good for goodness sake. The Bible is very clear that our reward is the thing that we look forward to from God. Being motivated by reward is not wrong when the reward is the very promises of God. So like it's wrong to be motivated by these wrong rewards like riches or what are people going to think of me? But when the reward itself is God's promises, you're actually talking about the very stuff of faith that motivates us. So let me just show you a couple examples here. Think about the life of Abraham. Abraham is commended for his faith because he believed God. And that faith, remember, is credited to him as righteousness. Genesis 15, 6, verse 22, Romans 4, 3. But what exactly was it that Abraham believed God about? It was the promise of reward. Genesis 12, 1 through 3, Hebrews 11, 11, Abraham's faith that was commended and counted to him as righteousness was faith in God's promise that he would give him a land and that he would multiply him greatly. Abraham looked to the reward. That was the faith that was counted as righteousness towards him. Likewise, think of Moses again, right? In Hebrews 11, 24 through 26, Moses is said to have rejected the passing pleasures of sin instead choosing the reproach of Christ. So instead of staying in Pharaoh's house, Hebrew says, uh, Moses rejected staying in Pharaoh's house and he chose the reproaches of Christ instead. And that's commended in scripture. But what was Moses's motivation for making this seemingly foolish trade of pleasure for reproach? Well, it goes on in Hebrews 11 verse 26, for he looked to the reward. Moses was motivated by eternal reward. So was Abraham. And so are we as New Testament saints. This is constantly held out to us as the motivation for our good works, which is again, the very content of our productivity. Galatians 6, 9, and let us not grow weary of doing good for in due season, we will reap if we will not give up. So don't go weary of doing good. Why? What's held out of the motivation? Why shouldn't I give up? Why shouldn't I quit? Why, should I, why shouldn't I stop doing good works when life gets hard or when I'm persecuted for it or when people don't appreciate it? Well, because in due season, you will reap. You will reap. That's the reward. And I could just cite verse after verse after verse about how reward is held out. Eternal reward is held out as the hope of believers and the thing that we're to look for to motivate us to be productive for God's glory. I mean, here's just a couple examples. We're rewarded for self-denial. We're told that we're rewarded for having compassion on those in need, but for loving our enemies, for being generous, uh, for enduring hard circumstances and persecution in the faith, and simply for living a godly life. These are all over the place. You can look all these verses up on your own time if you want, um, but there's numerous ones. And we start to look for them. You realize, wow, uh, this really is not something that, that God says, hey, you shouldn't be in this for, for eternal reward. No, this is the stuff of faith. Faith is believing the promises of God and the contents of the promises of God are our good, our benefit, our eternal reward. So this is what we should be motivated by. This should be the stuff of our vision, shouldn't it? This should be 
what we're looking towards. When we think about what's the vision for my life, I should be thinking about, man, how will I be rewarded for my godliness? This is from John Bunyan, the author of Pilgrim's Progress. He says, whatever good thing you do for him, if done according to the word, is laid up for you as treasure in chests and coffers to be brought out, to be rewarded before both men and angels to your eternal comfort. And that is what we look towards. That is why we care about uh, having a vision for these things. And in the next section, I'm going to show you exactly how you can create a vision statement that is not focused on your life here as much as it is focused on eternity. And what you find is when you have an articulated vision statement for your life like this, it just clarifies things so much. You, you know who you are, you know what you're about, you know where you're going, and you're motivated for the reasons that most glorify God. That's awesome. So we'll look at that in the next section. Okay, now I want to talk to you about the longest term vision. In the last section, I showed you some different examples of types of vision statements, vision boards, five-year, 10-year, writing your own eulogy, legacy statements, all these different types of vision statements. Um, And by definition, a vision statement is future-oriented. They're always going to have something to do with the future. But what I'm proposing here is that we should not be uh, so focused on our vision for our life here, but... Instead, we should write a vision statement, yes, but have it be focused on the longest term vision that there is, which I'm going to argue goes beyond our death and actually speaks to our eternal um, state. And so I call this practice imagining you're well done. And here's where we're going to get really um, practical. I'm going to show you exactly the process I use for writing a, a eternally minded vision statement for myself, and I have called it imagining you're well done. The title, Imagine You're Well Done, comes from the parable of the stewards or of the talents. You know, the story where the Jesus tells where the master goes away on a trip and he entrusts three different stewards of his house with different amounts of money. And when he returns, two of them had been faithful. They invested them and they had made a return on them. And the third one had just buried the money. And so he had done nothing with it. He had not stewarded it well and he gets in trouble. Whereas the first two... Uh, are commended for it. And he tells them, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a little. I will set you over much. Enter the joy of your master. This speaks to the second judgment. This is not judgment unto um, whether we receive eternal life, heaven or hell. This is the second judgment. This is where believers stand before Jesus and are rewarded for their righteous deeds. We look forward to this. This is something to be excited about, not dreadful about. We want to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. This is what it's all about. And so if we want to go further than writing just a eulogy for ourselves, having a vision for what people will think, we need to be concerned more about what God will think of us. And that's what this practice is all about. What will God say to me? Not what my kids will say, not what my wife will say, not what I achieve in this life. My vision is focused on what might Christ say to me? And this is the most important thing you could be concerned about. Imagining you're well done. We need a vision statement that is fixated not on temporal visions, riches, personal peace, or what others might say. We need a beatific vision. We need to clearly articulate what we would hope our master would say to us when we see him face to face. 
So how do you make one of these? What is it? <laughs> how does it work? Well, it's really a simple process. The first thing you do is you go to Matthew 25, 23, which is where the, the parable of the stewards is. And you take the first part of that where he says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful. And then you go through and you write a statement for each of those six domains of stewardship, which we have talked about in previous lessons. I'll show you those in a moment. So you know what they are. And then finally, you finish the statement with, you have been faithful over a little, I will set you over much, enter into the joy of your master. And so what you're doing here really is you are imagining. And this is, again, this is, this might feel a little uncomfortable. This might feel a little weird. You just have to think about it the right way. You're not putting words in Jesus' mouth. You're not pretending that he actually said these things. You are clearly articulating for your own benefit, what you hope he would say to you when you meet him face to face. And the purpose of writing it down like this is to be biblical, to cast it in the framework of faithfulness, of stewardship, but also really just to articulate, make it perfectly clear what it is you're hoping for. So it's not vague in your head. So let me show you my well done statement. It's kind of long. Um, I'll read it to you and then I'll explain to you how I got it. Here's my well done statement. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful to walk with me daily, reading my word and seeking me in prayer. You've been faithful with your family, loving Kim as I loved my church, and raising your children up in wisdom and my instruction. You've been faithful to your calling to help of helping my brothers and sisters become more faithful stewards for my father's glory. You've been faithful with your health, stewarding your body as the temple of the Holy Spirit, eating healthy and exercising regularly. You've been faithful with your finances, not being foolish and not hoarding my money as if it were your own, but using it to care for your family, give to my church and provide for the needs of others. And you've been faithful in your recreation, respecting your need for rest as a finite creature and making time to enjoy my creation, eating and drinking to my glory. Because you've been faithful in these little things, I will set you over much. Enter the joy of your master. I, this is lame, but like, I honestly get like teary eyed when I read that I wrote it, but I get teary eyed because what I'm, what I'm doing is I'm trying to imagine the day that I look forward to more than any other meeting Jesus Christ and how pleased and how blessed it would be if he could say something like that to me. And, and the point of this isn't that I've attained these things. I haven't, I'm not that faithful. The point is that's the kind of faithfulness I want. And you'll notice if you, if you look at mine that I've, I've tried to just baptize this thing in scriptural language, you know, speaking of with my, my wife, like, um, raising the children in the wisdom and admonition of the Lord, uh, loving Kim as, as Christ loved the church, you know, it's Ephesians five. I, I've tried to make this thing as biblical as I could possibly make it for each of my domains of stewardship so that it's realistic. And then this gives me something to aim for. It gives me a rich motivation. When I read this every morning, this is what I want to hear. And so today, how do I get closer when my life looks more like this? How do I set goals that look more like that make me more like this? How do I make habits that make me more like that? This is what it's all about. So let me just break it down for you. How exactly, 
uh, I came up with this statement. It's It should be pretty obvious, but I'll just show you. So remember the domains of stewardship, which we talked about in several other of our lectures. These are just kind of your main areas of life. I think generally these six are what most people have. You could kind of carve your life out into these sort of domains. Um, might be a little bit different for you, but these are the ones I'm operating on. And so all I've done is I wrote a sentence for each of these. So spiritual, this is, you've been faithful to walk with me daily, reading my word and seeking me in prayer. That was the first sentence in my well done statement. Uh, I want, I want my life to be characterized by time in his word and time in prayer that I have a close walk with him. Relationships, you've been faithful with your family, loving Camus, I love my church, raising your children up in wisdom and my instruction. So here, I, for each of these, you could have said a lot more, right? I could talk about friendships. I could talk about extended family. I could talk about neighbors. Uh, I've kept this short because as you'll see, I'm going to recommend you read it every day. So it needs to be somewhat short. And so I just try to prioritize. A calling, you've been faithful to your calling of helping my brothers and sisters become more faithful stewards for my father's glory. This is like... Uh, this is incorporating my own sort of like what I believe is my mission in life, which is helping to teach believers how to be productive for God's glory. Health. You've been faithful with your health, stewarding your body. It's the temple of the Holy Spirit, eating healthy and exercising regularly. Finances. You've been faithful with your finances, not being foolish, not hoarding my money as if it were your own, but using it to care for your family, give to my church, and provide for the needs of others. So talking about generosity. And then recreation is the last one that you've, you know, respecting my own need for rest as a finite creature, um, enjoying the things of God, not just viewing all of life as work, but enjoying his creation, food, drink, all that to his glory. Um, so that's, that's really, that's really like all it is, is just sandwiching between well done, good and faithful servant, the six areas of your life that you've been called to steward and how you would hope God would uh, commend you, Christ would commend you for studying those well, what that might look like. This gives you such clarity, man, so much clarity about how you're spending your time and allows you to do this, which is really the, the whole point of this is basically it's a self-assessment, an ongoing self-assessment. You ask yourself some questions. You look at your vision statement and you ask, okay, is my life currently on the path to hear well done, good and faithful servant? So this is like high level, like, am I even going to hear that? Like, is any, is any of this stuff on the path where I'm being faithful at all? Um, if not, okay, let's pause. Let's reflect. Let's repent. Uh, let's ask God, what, what do I need to do? How, how can I course correct? Um, I want to be on the path where I hear those words from you. If your life bears no fruit, uh, that's a strong indicator that maybe you don't know Christ. Even if you find that you're not being faithful in any of these areas, you know, in the parable of the stewards, the one who did not steward anything at all. Uh, he was cast in outer darkness, which symbolized hell, uh, because he bore no fruit. Same thing with John 15, the branches that don't bear fruit, uh, indicate that they're not abiding in the vine. And so they're cut off and they're burned. If, if you find that you're not being faithful at all, it's time for some serious heart examination. Second, um, if you find, okay, I'm a little bit faithful, uh, what areas are those? You know, this isn't about beating yourself up. But celebrate, say, oh man, the Lord has been good to me. He's helped me to be faithful to him in family and in um, finances, but man, health, bleh, not doing so well on that or my, my walk with the Lord daily. I'm not in the word as much as I should be. Um, it's good. It's a self-assessment. You, you, you give thanks for the good stuff. Say, okay, how can I keep that going? Why is that working? And uh, where am I missing? And that's the last one. What areas would Christ say I've not been faithful in as I should? 
like for me, I mean, if I'm just being honest with you right now, it's health because I've neglected that uh, for other things. I've um, overloaded the other domains of stewardship um, to the neglect of my own health. And so I'm trying to get that back on track. I'm trying to be better about that because I recognize, hey, this is important to God. And what a vision statement does, it is enables you to daily be confronted with that. So instead of, um, I don't know if you're anything like me, but instead of like once in a while, you remember, yeah, I really should get to the gym. I, you faced with it every day. Oh yeah, this is a stewardship. Every morning you look at this vision statement and say, oh yeah, I need to be faithful there. Am I doing that? It's really, really helpful just realigning your thinking, realigning your vision every single day if you do this. So it's not enough just to write this vision statement, though. You also have to make sure you're looking at it and reviewing it and refining it. So how do you do that? Well, that's what this is all about here. We're talking about how you review and refine your vision statement over time. So there's really two types of review you should be doing with this uh, well-done statement. The first one is your daily review. So I read my well-done statement every single morning as part of my Power Mornings morning routine. When I pop open my journal, which I thought was here next to me, it's not, but when I do open that up, it's got my vision statement in there and I can read it say, ah, that's right. And it's not because I don't know what it says. It's because it just, it realigns me to what I'm about, what, I, what I've decided is what I'm aiming at with my life, what I hope Christ would say. So I, I encourage you to read it every day as part of your um, morning routine. But the second type of review you should be doing is long-term. You need to be at least annually reevaluating your statement. Um, I have had a vision statement for many years, and as I've said throughout this course, I've changed it many times. And this one, I'm sure, will go through many iterations. You know, as you go through different changes in life, when, like getting married or having kids, or if your kids move out of the house, or changing careers, or any of these big changes, you often find that your your vision it changes a little bit. And so you need to have something on the calendar that's going to allow you to tweak your statement so it still makes sense. So I, I recommend do that at least annually. Uh, quarterly is even better. Um, and you could do that if you're part of our Redeeming Productivity Academy where you do quarterly reviews throughout the year. And that is going to be part of those is looking at your vision statement, just kind of fine tuning all everything you've got going on. Make sure it all still uh, is exactly what you want and it's still being helpful to you. So you might rewrite it, you might clarify during those times. And that's really all there is to it. Um, I've included a workbook for this that's going to show you how to write the statement exactly, but the practice is fairly simple. I wanted to focus more in this series on why to do this, why it's so important, because honestly, this can be life-changing for you. To be confronted daily with the prospect that you will die and you will meet Christ and he will speak to you. <laughs> what he says to you, that is the most important thing. That's what we should be all about. And I really do believe that if we aim our sights at heaven, to paraphrase C.S. Lewis, we'll get earth thrown in. We, we, when you focus on earth, you miss it. But when you focus on, on heavenly reward, you find that things in your life sort of just naturally align into the right place for you because you're thinking rightly. You're thinking rightly about this life. I'm going to leave you this quote from Jonathan Edwards. This is his 22nd resolution. He says, resolved to endeavor to obtain for myself as much happiness in the other world as I possibly can with all the power, might, 
vigor, and vehemence, yea, violence I am capable of, or can bring myself to exert in any way that can be thought of. May we likewise be so dedicated to getting as much of the next life as we can, that we work hard every day, we're driven by the right motivation, namely the reward of Christ, and that we're faithful, faithful stewards of all that he has entrusted with us. And having a vision statement may sound cheesy, may sound kind of silly, may sound kind of corporate but I'm telling you, it works because it brings clarity to your hopes and your dreams for your eternity. And it will bring clarity to the rest of your life as well. So I commend that practice to you very much so. Thank you for watching Christ-Centered Life Planning, the last vision statement you'll ever need. I hope this has been beneficial to you. Highly encourage you, use the workbook, put this into action. If you are part of Redeemed Productivity Academy, jump into the community, talk to us about this, get on a call, go into the office hours, let's chat, let's put this into action, and let's become people who are dead set on hearing that well done, good and faithful servant. I'll see you guys in the next course.